First scripture is uh, from Moses. It's Deuteronomy 8, verse 3. He humbled you, therefore, so that you would hunger and then gave you manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, in order to teach you that people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. This from Psalm number 119, verse uh, 11, and it goes like this. Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. And finally, from Psalm 19, a long section about uh, the word of God. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. And the ordinances of the Lord are sure. All of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, even much gold. They are sweeter than honey, even honey from the honeycomb. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. At least it was a moment of personal and private embarrassment for me. I remember some years ago driving from the church over to the tennis courts at San Pedro Park. And I went by Temple Bethel. And for the first time, I noticed something I hadn't seen before. The words of Scripture above the entrance into Temple Bethel. And it said this, My house will be a house of prayer for the nations. Isaiah 56, 7. And I thought, what? I thought Jesus made that up himself. I thought those were his words. Remember, he cleaned out the temple and he said, my house will be a house of prayer for all the nations. And then he went on to say, but you've turned it into a den of thieves. Well, later I would find out that the den of thieves is a quote from Jeremiah. All of my adult life, I had thought that Jesus just sort of made stuff up. And that the stuff he made up was better than the stuff that had been made up before. And that's why it's the New Testament. This is the good stuff. The new stuff. And the more I learned, I realized Jesus was taking the good stuff, the Hebrew Scripture, the Old Testament, and applying it and interpreting it and living it in his day. It wasn't all new. It was stuff that they had known and lived for centuries. I realized that day that Jesus is what the Jews would call a man of the text, a man of Scripture, a man of the Bible. And in fact, in about the 400-year period around which Jesus lived, 200 years before to about 200 after, one of the things that people held as a popular notion was that a great rabbi, a great teacher, would do five things. First of all, a great rabbi would learn the text. A great rabbi, in other words, would have the scriptures pretty well memorized. Did Jesus learn the text? The evidence seems to be that he did. We're told in the Gospel of Luke that when Jesus was 12, he went to Jerusalem for the Passover, went into the temple and began to quiz the religious leaders. One of the practices the Jews had in Jesus' day was called First Passover. Now, it wasn't actually your first Passover, but it was the first one in which you could lead the family in the sacrificing of the animal. And to do that, you had to be a 21-year-old male, or you could be 12 years old if you had the entire first five books of the Bible memorized. It tells us that Jesus had them memorized by the time he was 12. He learned the text. A great rabbi, they said, secondly, would live the text. 
they would actually keep and live the laws of God. A lot of us have seen on the morning show, or maybe you've seen clips, or perhaps you've read the book itself, The Year of Living Biblically, where the secular Jew from New York tries to keep for a year all the Old Testament laws that he can keep without running afoul of the uh, civil authorities. Well, Jesus had more than 30 years of living biblically. One of the stories in the Bible points this out very clearly. Moses had instructed all the, uh, the males to wear on the bottom or corner of their robes. And how you find a corner of a robe is pretty interesting. But they had to have tassels called tzitzit, which were um, combined in such a way that they remind you of all the commandments of God. But the word for corner is also the same word for wing, uh, because Hebrew doesn't have as many words as English, so it doubles. So after a while, they began to put scriptures together, including uh, the Psalms and including uh, the prophet who said that the Messiah will have healing in his wings. And the popular belief among the people was when a rabbi came along and fully obeyed, perfectly obeyed God's law, there would be healing in the corner of that robe, uh, in the tassels of that robe. So what happens? According to Mark, there's a woman who's been bleeding for 12 years and hadn't had any help. Jesus walks by one day, and what does she do? She grabs the corner, the wing of his robe, the tassels that he wears, and she's healed. She knows the scripture, but more importantly for us, Jesus is wearing those wings. He's wearing those uh, tassels because he's living biblically, and that gave her something to grab. We know that Jesus didn't just learn the text. He actually lived by the text. The third thing a great rabbi would do, they taught, is a great rabbi would teach the text. They would teach the scripture. And again, this was such an education for me. I thought Jesus made it all up. And now as I go back, I see so much of what Jesus did was taking the scripture that was already there and reinterpreting it and applying it. Because they asked him, what was the greatest commandment? And his answer was, as we do every Sunday morning, the Shema, part of Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5, and Leviticus 19, 18. Love God. Love your neighbor. He didn't make that up. It was already in the scripture. One day he went over to that wee little man Zacchaeus' house. People got real upset because Zacchaeus was a tax collector. And you shouldn't be uh, socializing with a tax collector, Jesus. Jesus' one sentence comment on this was, The Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. And I always thought, well, that's really a nice sentence. I like that. And I've even heard sermons. That's Jesus' mission statement. Every organization, every person should have a mission statement. That's Jesus' mission statement, as if he made it up. But when you go into Scripture, you find that in Ezekiel, God is is, uh, castigating the bad shepherds and saying, I'll shepherd my people, says God, and I myself will seek and save the lost. What Jesus was telling Zacchaeus is, you're one of my sheep, even if they don't think you are, and I'm God. People, believe me, their hair stood on end when Jesus said that because they knew the scripture. They knew that Jesus was quoting God verbatim, that that's what he was claiming. He taught the text. Donna, this morning, prayed the parable of the sower. Even Jesus' parables came from Old Testament texts and stories. And you can find in Jeremiah and Isaiah many references to seed and to sowing. That's who Jesus was. He lived it. He learned it. He taught it. A great rabbi, they said, would also pray the text. Well, we don't know a whole lot about the prayers of Jesus, but we do know this, that in the last moments of Jesus' life, when he was praying, he said, My God, my God, why have you 
forsaken me. And we read that and we go, oh, he was in terrible pain. Yes, we'll never know the depths of pain that he suffered. But did you also know this? That is a direct quote from Psalm 22. He's praying the scripture. And he didn't have to pray the whole scripture because he knew we'd know it. And if you go all the way to the end of Psalm 22, it says, I will praise you in the great congregation of people. The psalm says basically, this is painful, but it's going to work out. Jesus prayed the text. And finally, they said a great rabbi would actually die the text. That the last words on their lips would be words of Scripture. The very last thought in their heart would be Scripture. And so what does Jesus say according to Luke? He says, Father, into your hand. Anybody? I commit my spirit. That's a direct quote from Psalm 31 from two different verses that are put together. His last breaths are of the Scripture. And this is what they said. If a great rabbi learns the text, lives the text, teaches the text, prays the text, and dies the text, then he will likely become the text. People will look at him and see God's word. Do the names Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John ring a bell for us? He became the text. Jesus was a man of scripture. For the past several weeks, and for a few more weeks, I've been talking about how the church has gotten off base. We've gotten off the ancient path. That, uh, that God would want us to walk. And one of those paths I think we veered off of is a path that Jesus was on, which was a path of living and being shaped by the Scripture. And so what happens in the modern church today is more often pastors uh, like myself are influenced by what the latest business leader, our leader of a nonprofit, thinks or says we ought to do. And the average person in the congregation is uh, moved more by what a motivational speaker observes or the latest guest on Oprah says about how to live their life. We've gotten off the path. And Jesus said it was clear. You lived your life by the scriptures. You began to learn them when you were little. Every synagogue had a school attached, and the boys went to synagogue, and the girls learned scripture, usually the Psalms, the Proverbs, and Ruth. Um, they learned them at home. The boys went to the synagogue to learn. And even when they learned a trade or a skill, they still went to the synagogue school part-time. The rabbis in Jesus' day were teaching that studying the Bible was the same as worshiping God or praying to God. They would say an hour of study is equal to an hour of prayer. And so, you know, every once in a while, I, when I'm up here preaching, I, I look around, and I know I've lost a few of you, but I know I've lost you because you've opened your Bible and started reading. I used to feel bad about that. Now I feel like I'm doing you a service. If I can bore you enough, you'll open the text itself. Rabbi said that was okay. That was okay. And the basic synagogue service was mostly Scripture reading and praying Scriptures, and the sermon was about two to five minutes in length. The whole world was shaped by Scripture, and Jesus was a man of the Scripture. Well, I hope we've established that, so let me make a few observations, though. The first is this. There's a whole lot of debate in our world about, is, is, are the Scriptures reliable? Are the Scriptures infallible? Are the Scriptures inerrant? And people argue back and forth with one another. What's obvious to me is that Jesus found the Scriptures utterly reliable that he based his entire life upon God's word and structured his life and lived his life around it. Whether you consider them without mistake or whether you consider them fully reliable or in the degrees 
uh, and shades in between know that Jesus organized his life around the scriptures. Jesus knew probably what we don't. And that is the scriptures he inherited were passed down for centuries orally. And that oral transmissions in an oral culture are more reliable than written. A lot of us think that oral transmission is like playing the telephone game. Have you ever played that? You whisper in a room something to one person, they whisper it to the next person. goes all the way around the room, and when it comes out, it's like nothing like what you said. But that's not true in an oral culture. They've heard the story so many times that they will catch you if you're standing up and you tell it differently. Let me put it another way. Any of your children have a favorite book they used to like you to read to them, but you got tired and you wanted to skip a page? Did they catch you? Yes, they had heard it so many times they knew. The same way with the scriptures. They had memorized it. They'd heard it. If I dare get up here and change a word, they're raising their hand immediately to tell me. Well, what about the written scriptures we do have, especially the gospels? How reliable are the stories of Jesus? Well, let me put it this way. The stories of Jesus were basically written down within about 40 years of his death. Uh, That's about a generation. And experts will tell you that it takes longer than a generation for a myth or a legend to grow around somebody. Because people uh, are still alive who knew that person and saw what they did and heard what they said. Or another way to say is 40 years is uh, uh, people can still catch you. When you make an error. So, for example, if I claim the tomb of Jesus was empty and you were alive and living in Jerusalem in that day and it wasn't, you could catch me. But the fact of the matter was the tomb was empty. They couldn't catch him. Instead, the extra biblical evidence says the opponents of Jesus said the tomb was empty, but somebody must have stolen the body. Those scriptures are reliable both in their oral and written transmission. Jesus knew that. Another thing I want you to know is the approach to Scripture that Jesus and his people used would be different than a lot of what we do. Scott Hare talked to you about this this summer when he talked about Psalm 1. Blessed is the one who delights in the law of the Lord and meditates on that law day and night. And we think of meditate as lighting a few candles and uh, getting real quiet and comfortable with, with God's Word. And nothing wrong with that. But the word they use for meditate is hagah. And it's a word with a sound, and the sound is a lion chewing a bone, tearing it apart, looking for a little bit of marrow to suck out. That was their approach to Scripture. I will wrestle with Scripture. I will tear into it and get everything that God has to teach me in this Scripture. It was very interactive. In fact, the picture they used for Bible studies, the picture of Jacob wrestling with the angel in Genesis 32, uh, when the fight is over... Jacob gets a blessing, but he also walks away with a limp. He's been injured in the wrestling match. And they said that's what Scripture's like. We wrestle with God, we get blessed, but we walk away different. We walk away a changed person. Very interactive. The last thing is to tell you that when they would approach Scripture, the goal wouldn't be just to learn it. The goal truly is to live the Scripture. It isn't how much Scripture you could know. It was how much could you live out and obey And we've sort of made the goal in a lot of places, well, just learn as much as you can. Some years ago, many years ago, I was preaching in another church at a conference. When I finished, a a husband and wife came up to me. And the wife started in on me because I was Methodist and that had been announced. And so she began to tell me biblically all the reasons Methodists were wrong. So I was trying to listen. I thought I was finally through with the conversation, but then she turned to the Baptists. So I listened for a while about what was wrong with the Baptists. 
And then I thought I was through, and she started on the Episcopalians. By that time, I was beginning to slide away, and her husband could tell she was losing me. So with real confidence and a smile, he looked me right in the eye and said, my wife is really into the word. And I wanted to say to him, but didn't. Well, some of the words didn't get into her, like be quick to listen and slow to speak. Or judge not lest you be judged. Or let nothing unwholesome come out of your mouth. Or love and pray for your enemies. I could think of all sorts of ones that had bypassed her. See, the goal is not to be into the Word, but to get to the Word into us. To live in a way Jesus would. So how do we do it? Two suggestions real quickly. Um, if, you, if you're not sure whether Moses came before Elijah, whether Jesus came before Abraham, if you're just not sure about how the whole thing works, there's a wonderful abridged version of the Bible called The Story. And we're using it in small groups, some classes. I teach this afternoon at 3 on it. Um, and it's a way to get familiar. So you might want to start there. If you kind of have the basics down, one of the things that I, that I would suggest is perhaps take the story of Jesus and get most familiar with it. Read a gospel a month and do it for a few years until you really have the story of the gospel down into your life. And then you may want to do, some of you have seen what I do, you see it in my pocket uh, sometimes, and I, the scriptures that I'm working on for the week I have on a note card. And I carry them around so I can memorize them and chew on them and try to tear them apart. It's not a big section. It's just a small section. And I'm not going to know the entire Bible at this rate, but I am going to know and I'm going to live just a little bit more than I did last week. And when I do that, I'm walking the ancient path with Jesus.